Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in. So bring on the inspiration. My guest today is Lorraine. Lorraine is a wonderfully feisty personality with a very unique life story. She's been kicked out of home. She's served in the Australian Army. She's been a prison officer in a maximum security prison. She's a wife to an Australian SAS member. And if that is not enough, she's also a mother of three. I'm exhausted just hearing it. I have been telling her for years that she needs to turn her life story into some sort of a TV series. I find it absolutely fascinating. If you're wondering why we're not mentioning Lorraine's surname, it's for security reasons because of her husband's special forces service. We have got permission from her to use her first name and also her husband's first name, so you don't need to worry about us using those. And this episode is not suitable for kids as some of the prison stories are graphic in nature. When So the reason why I got you on is because I wanted to have a chat because you've had the craziest, well, to me, you've got to have had a really crazy life. You think that you haven't had a really crazy life, Lorraine, but you have. So your whole career started off when you were in the military. Tell me a little bit about that. How old were you when you went into the military? Oh, well, I joined the Army at 17. I uh, grew up in a pretty rough suburb in Perth called Gosnells, and um, I was a, I was a wild child, so there's no other word to say that I was a wild child. I'm the youngest of four girls. Oh, so, um, yeah, and so it was a matter of um, – I, I realised quite young that for anything to happen in your life, you had to actually go out and get it. And my parents were, I mean, to me they were they were strict but not too strict on me. I was lucky. I was the fourth kid. So by the time they got to me, they were a bit worn out and, <laughs> and they were like, oh, we'll let her do a lot more than her sisters did. So Hence you being a wild child. Hence me being the wild child. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is is that um, – I never, so I started going, I, I uh, was in high school and I was in third year high school and I decided that I hated high school and high school didn't like me either. And, um, Too and many I, rules? Um, I just, it just wasn't my way of learning things. I was not, yeah. a, I'm not one of those book people where I can pick a book up and go, oh, that's all stored in my brain. I'm a hands-on person, always have yeah. been. Mm. And, um so I remember going, I was working part-time at Coles then and I remember going home to my mum and saying to her, oh, gosh, I hate school, I hate it. And she said to me, um, she goes, well, she said, if you want to leave school, she said you have to have a full-time job. She said you cannot leave school without a full-time job. And you could do it in those days as well, you know, back in the early 80s. You didn't have to finish school. You could go and get an apprenticeship or as long as you had a job. You couldn't just leave school though. So I literally went to Coles where I was working and I said to my supervisor, do you have any full-time work? And she was like, yes, we do. And I was like, good, I want it. So I went home and said to my mum, I've got a full-time job, I'm leaving school. And she was like, oh, okay. That was a bit too easy. (laughs) Yeah, so I think she was a bit surprised. And and, and because my mum and dad didn't have a massive education either, they they were very blue-collar workers, Um. So, yeah, so I left high school before I even finished year 10 and um, and went to work full-time. So so I worked at Coles full-time for about, oh, about a year until I got fired um, because 
I worked in the deli and I had this German manager and she was horrible, absolutely horrible. And um, she came in barking orders one day and I told her where to go in not the nicest terms. So then I was marched up to the office and I was 16 by this stage, so um, I thought I was really grown up and um, marched up to the office and, you know, as I said, in those days rules were very different and uh, it was like you can't talk to people like that and I said, well, she can't talk to me the way she did. I was very argumentative and uh, so I was fired. So I was like, okay. And I was told very bluntly by her and the store manager at the time that I would never amount to much. You know? Do you know how many times I've heard, like Richard Branson got told that by one of his teachers? Yeah, yeah exactly. And that, I think that was the go-to word, you'll never amount to much in you know, those days. It's like and parents that, telling you I'm disappointed. Ex- <laughs> that's, my, that's my go-to word with my kids. <laughs> All the time. I get it. I get them every time. They've done something like that. I'm so disappointed. And they just look at me and they just know. It crushes them. It's fantastic. Love it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I um, – and I would never get another job. And I was like, yeah, oh, you watch me. So I literally the next day I went into the city in Perth and I got a job with um, Woolworths. In the city, and Woolworths back then was, you only had one in the city. Coles was massive, but Woolworths was only your one shop and that was in the city at the time. So I um, I went and I got a job and it was great. So went to that job and, um, yeah, it didn't last very long at that job either. Um, <laughs> I think I was only there about, about uh, 12 weeks and uh, had an argument with one of the girls um, oh my and, uh, yeah, so I was really fiery, very fiery and, and I was, I was pretty bad as well as a teenager. So, um, but I always worked, so that was quite funny. And then, so then my mum was like rolling her eyes and she says, well, you need to go and get a job. So I went for a job interview at, you don't have it here in the Eastern States, but in WA we have, um, a pastry shop and, mm. Um, it's called Miss Maud's, and she had lots of little um, shops all around Perth, you know. And I remember going for the interview with this lady. Her name was Margaret, and um, I went there and she said, well, where have you worked? And I told her, and she said, well, why did you leave? And I told her. And she was so (laughs) nice, though. She was just so nice. And she said, well, at least you're honest. And I said, yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. And she was like, okay, um, and and she gave me the job, so which was fantastic. So I worked for them for about uh, twelve months, and during that time, I was very young, and I was going to the pub a lot, drinking a lot, mm-hmm. um, doing all that crazy stuff, and doing things that no sixteen, seventeen year old should do. And um, I really thought one day. Um, I can't remember the exact moment, but I was like, I've got to do something with my life. Cannot just be, I cannot be a shop assistant for the rest of my life. There's more to life than this. And, um, you know, flying flying over the country was just not acceptable. You just didn't do it because it was so expensive and, you know, you just, just didn't just jump on a plane to go to Sydney or Melbourne or anything like that. So in my head I was like, how am I going to get out of this state without 
haven't costing me any money. So I literally on my day off from work, um, I went to uh, army recruiting because my dad was in the army. My dad was in the British SAS. So I'd always oh. heard about his stories and my grandfather was um, in the army as well. Um, my dad's dad, he was intelligence. He was a sergeant medic in the army in intelligence. So um, I'd always heard these stories and my dad was very much, um, he was in a, a uh, organization called Pegasus and that was like ex-servicemen and women you know from all over the world and they had this organization so and they used to meet up like every couple of weeks and they used to tell their war stories and all that kind of stuff and I was always really intrigued with that kind of thing um, and as I said my dad was British SAS and at the time I didn't really understand what British SAS was, so which is the special forces in in England. Um, but I, I just enjoyed the stories and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to join the Army. Didn't tell my mum and dad and I was only 17 as well. So I thought if were I... Were they meant to have signed off because you were 17? Yeah, well, see, what happened is so um, I was 17 and I thought, well, if I go and do all the testing and I don't pass, no one's any the wiser. You know, no yeah. one knows, no nothing. So I I went in and in those days you could literally just walk in the door and go, hi, I want to join the army. And they'd go, sure, come on in. So um, so I did all that and I did all the testing and um, and because I was 17, they said to me, um, you have to get your parents to sign for you to join. And I was like, oh, God, how am I going to do this? Because I didn't want to tell anybody that I was doing it. Um, so I took the papers home and my dad was, my dad was pretty easy to get him to do things for his, especially for his girls. He always did it for his girls. And I said to him, oh, dad, can you sign these forms for me? You know, they're for work and I need to, uh, I need to get, um, cause I'm not 18. I need you to sign it. He didn't even question it. He goes, sure, love, no worries. Didn't read it. Didn't do anything with it. I just folded it up, told him where to sign. That was it. He didn't see anything of it. And uh, so I was like, thanks, took it back in, hand it over. And um, and then I went through the process of, of finishing all my stuff off and still hadn't said anything to my mum and dad. And then uh, I was still working at Miss Moore's and my mum rings me at work, which in those days it just never happened, you know, unless there was an emergency, you know, you just didn't ring up at work unless you were sick or there was an emergency. So my boss, who happened to be the lady by that stage who employed me, she had was my boss, Margaret, and she was just beautiful. Um, Margaret says to me, oh, your mum's on the phone. And I thought, oh, gosh, something's happened to someone. You know, someone's died or whatever. And my mum's in hysterics on the phone. And, and I was like, mum, what's, what's wrong? And she goes, there's a letter here from you. And I was like, okay. She Uh-oh. goes, and she was like, it's from the Defence Force. And I was like, okay. She goes, what have you been doing? I was like. <laughs> Did she open it? I said to her, I said, well, you better open it and you can see what I've been doing. And she literally opened up the letter and she screamed. And I was like, well, for what? She goes, I can't bloody believe it. You've joined the army. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I got in because I didn't I'm know. I'm in. <laughs> And she said to me, and I said, well, when do I go? I was so excited. 
And she goes, oh, my God, you go in a month's time. And I was like, oh, my God, it couldn't be better. I was so excited. And she was just crying her heart out. She was sobbing. What did your dad say when he found out? Well, it's really funny because literally I said to mum, I said, I'll talk to you about it when I get home. And she was like, I can't believe you've done this behind my back and, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's raving on because my mum was very dramatic. And, um. And I said, okay, look, we'll talk when we get home. And I literally turned around to Margaret, my boss, and I said to her, Margaret, I'm giving you a month's notice. I'm resigning. And she looked at me and she was like, why? And I said, because I got it in the army. And she was like, <laughs> she was so lovely. She was like, oh, I'm so excited for you. That's fantastic. And and all the rest of it. So by the time I got home, yeah, my mum had told my dad. My dad was really excited. My dad was like, if that's what you want to do, I'm really, wow. really happy that's for you. That's surprising because he, mm. given his experience in the army. I, yeah. I think he always knew that, you know, I wasn't going to hang around, you know, and, you know, back in those days, I mean, don't get me wrong, I got still got married very young, but I, ha- I really, I can't. I can't tell you how much of a wild child I was. I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad. Were women allowed on the front line? No, then? no. So, yeah, okay. And this was the first time also that the army had started to, because um, they, were, they were trying to recruit a lot of women because this was the first time, the first year that they'd allowed men and women to train together. Before that, women were in a separate barracks in Sydney, um, over at Mosman and they were called Wax Thing, you know. So, um, and uh, and the guys were at Kapuka, which is Wagga Wagga in New South Wales. So this was all a new sort of trend that was going through the Defence Force. Um, and it was the first time that they had also were allowing women to carry weapons. So, um, so this was only, and it sounds really weird, but this was only in 1986. So it wasn't, you know, a hundred years ago or anything like that. It, so you had mixed so – you met your husband, was it on training or after you'd finished the training? No, I didn't meet Todd until um, i come to the end of my service time. And yeah. So I what was, were you doing in the Army? In the okay, so when uh, we went through – so we did basic training. We did pretty much the same as the guys. So, um, so we had to do all of that and, you know, very fit and healthy and – and all the rest of it, and uh, so then um, during that time, you get uh, you do like aptitude tests and stuff like that. And um, initially, I um, was supposed to register, um, sorry, go in as nursing to become a registered nurse in the army. Oh, you would have been hopeless at that. But, um, but they Not um, enough patients. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the thing. I definitely don't have get get better sick quicker. You know, don't whinge at me. You know, pain. What I pain are you talking about? Pain. No, exactly. Just suck <laughs> it up. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, get out of that bed. Off you go. Um, yeah, so that definitely would have been me. But um, yeah, they'd stuffed it up. Recruiting had stuffed it up. So I was really disappointed that I didn't get into nursing. But then I ended up going in to transport. So to become a truck driver. Now, you know how tall I am. I'm only five foot two. Um, so <laughs> they said to me, uh, you're not tall enough. And I was like, uh, excuse me? And I was like, no, you don't tell a per- short person that they're not tall enough. And so then they had to actually go to transport and say, what's the minimum height? 
and they said the minimum height was five foot. So I made it by just two inches. Um, but one of the other girls that I was in, who was in my room in the army with, um, her name was Sam, and uh, she was only four foot eleven, and she desperately wanted to get into transport, and she couldn't. They just refused to let her go in there because she was too. She couldn't reach the pedals on the trucks. It's, I'm serious, yeah. It literally was like that. I mean, I had to have my chair all the time right the way forward. I looked like one of those grannies that was right up against the steering wheel because my legs were too short. But I just I just so loved it. How long were you in transport for? I was in transport for three years. So I, did, I, I stayed in transport during my time in the Army, so that was always going to be my what, what I did. So I loved it. It was great. I got to drive massive trucks. Um, you know, got to go away, did lots of travelled. I loved to be out and doing different stuff. I was never really an office person um, and I loved mechanics because um, when I was in high school, when I wa- did go to high school, um, they I wanted to do mechanics at school and they wouldn't allow me. They said girls don't do mechanics and I fought really hard in high school to go and do um, mechanics course in high school and I was the first girl that did that because I said well why can't a girl do mechanics and they were like well girls don't do that don't you do sewing and baking and and I was like no I want to do mechanics so my dad actually went to the school and said why why can't you do it she can she's as good as the guys she's strong you know I might have been just little but you know so I Your actually sounds awesome. he was really good like that he was not one that thought women did one particular job or anything like that you know um yeah so I got to do mechanics so I think that's where my interest in transport came along um for that so I did that and um I was in I was posted back to Perth which I was really disappointed about and I came back to Perth and um I really was really at a crossroads whether I wanted to stay in the army or whether I wanted to get out so I actually decided to get out of the army and um and, but I'd gone to um, – so I got out of the army and I was like, I'm never going to go back into uniform, never doing this. And I took a two-month holiday and a friend of mine who was a captain at one of the units that I'd worked for in Perth, he rang me up and he said, Lorraine, I want you to come back to Perth and I want you to run our transport area. And I was like, I'm not joining the army again. He goes, no, you can do army reserve full-time. And I was like, oh, okay, no worries. And he mentioned to me then, he said, I've got this really nice guy here. I reckon you two would get on really well. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, 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 I can see you. Yeah, really nice. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. And I was a hussy. I was. I didn't care who, you know. <laughs> I loved it. I loved I loved living the life and just. You know, if I was single, I was being single and enjoying every minute of it. So, yeah, so um, I I went back and and went there and I met Todd and we hated each other from the moment we saw each other. Really? I never knew that they hated each other. (laughs) Didn't you? No. Oh, yeah. I I heard the other stories, but I hated each other. Yeah, we didn't like each other at all. We, um, so. You know, my uh, friend Pete, well, my friend Pete at the time, he was like, oh, you know, this is Toddy, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at him and he was really arrogant, like super arrogant. And and he thought I was a bit of a slag. So I was like, oh, maybe with that, it's fine, you know. And, um, yeah, so 
but he was very good looking. I looked at him and I thought, geez, you're really good looking. And, um, and I thought, no, that's fine. I don't care. But we had to work together for, oh God, months and months and months. And, um, well, I say months and months, probably two months we worked solidly together. We, and we worked very well together. We didn't like each other, but we worked, we had the same goal. Like we always wanted to get our jobs done and do it well and those type of things. And, and we were the only ones other than Pete, who was our boss, um, were, um, had full-time experience, like regular army experience. So we were teaching uh, all the reservists how to do things and, you know, all those type of things. So, um, yeah, and that's how I actually met him, um, how we got together, though. Um, <laughs> um, we need the PG rating. I'm, I'm going to do the PG rating one. So um, we both got stuck on a uh, promotional course together. And uh, so we were on this promotional course and, um, anyway, we, we – we're doing um, the last phase, which, which was a bush phase, and um, and we're going at bush, and we're only at bush for like seven days or something like that, which was you know wasn't much. And anyway, I made a pass at my husband quite inappropriately, and <laughs> he turned around to me and he said to me, "I don't do things like that." And I said to him, "Are you gay?" And he was like, "No." He goes, I just don't do things. I can't tell you exactly what I said to him, but um, I don't do things like that. And I was not like, a fling. He didn't want to. No, fling. he did. Well, he, he didn't. He just, yeah, he, he was very straighty, one eighty, Toddy, and um, so he was very different to the other guys that I'd gone out with, and you know, I've been engaged to prior to Todd because <laughs> I've been engaged a couple of times and um, just didn't last though, you know, you just, yeah, I was, yeah, as I said, I wasn't, I wasn't a very good person. Um, yeah, so we, um, we, we finished this promotional course. We went at Bush, did our Bush thing, finished this promotional course. The last day of the course, um, after he turned me down, which was a big shock for me because I'd never been turned down before. <laughs> it probably made you like him more, actually. It did. It did. But my only intention, and I, I can say this, you know, we're hand on heart, my only intention was really to sleep with him and then that was it. It was end of story. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> oh, looking for... Oh, poor Todd. I know. I wasn't looking for anything permanent, you know. I, I, I was just not... I wasn't the, you know, settling down type, even though I was still very young as well. I mean, I was, I'm still only 21 at this stage and, um, yeah, and I was just, I, I just wasn't, I was, wasn't going to settle down. I was like, I'm going to play the field and do what I want. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then the last day when we were finishing the course, he said to me, oh, what are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm going to, um, because in those days as well, you got paid cash. You didn't. Yeah, so at the end of the course, you'd go to the um, the sergeant and have all the money there and you'd, he'd, they'd work it all out and go, okay. And you'd, you'd remember, I don't know whether you, you're not old enough to remember, but um, when you got paid cash, you had to count it back to make sure that they they paid you the right amount and then you'd sign for it. So it used to be coming in a little yellow envelope and they'd go, okay, you've got paid this amount for this amount for these amount of days and that's how you used to do it. And uh, and I said to him, oh, I'm going to go and spend all my money. And he was like, oh, I'll come with you. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I'll come with you. And I was like, oh. So, and I do have to fill in is that that wasn't, that's not the first 
time he like when um, we'd gone at bush and we came back um, we had an end of course party and um, I'll keep it clean I promise and um, <laughs> and Todd and I were pretty much over it because they they were most of the people that we were on the course with well all the people um, were just reservists so they'd only done part-time army they hadn't you know you know Tuesday was Tuesday nights was their most exciting night of their lives because that's when reservists get together and you know so Todd and I had done so much. He'd been, you know, in and he'd been out bush pretty much 90% of his time he was in and I'd travelled all over the countryside doing my job. So we looked at them and we were like, they're pretty boring people. And um, I said to him, oh, I'm going to go back to our room. And he was like, I'll come with you. And I was like, yes, this is my chance. <laughs> and he still, still turned me down. I was just like... Wow, okay. I was really intrigued why. But he actually told me um, that night when we, we and we were sitting talking because um, that's all he really wanted to do. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> you know, most women would, you know, Appreciate it? Appre- yeah. <laughs> I know, but I wasn't that type of person, seriously, so. Well, you um, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you're a guy, no one would have a problem with it. It's just that it's um, it was, it's not where you were in this exactly. Stage of your life. Well, yeah. that's right. And also, it was still really frowned upon. You know, you slept around. You were still the biggest slut going. You know, yeah. But I didn't. It, it didn't bother me because I thought, I it's just my life. I do what I want with my life. You know. So, um, but he, yeah, he turned me down again, and we ended up talking all night. And um, he said to me then. He goes, I'm not into casual relationships. And I was oh, like, really? Bless him. And um, he'll, he'll actually tell you now that that was his aim really, to, to make me want him more, but he, it wasn't. <laughs> I think he was frightened of me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so full on. Um, so I really do. For two fibre. Uh, yeah, I was like, I think that was the thing. I don't think he'd, well, I know he'd never met anybody probably like me. A strong woman, mm. yeah. And um, and, when, and especially when you see um, what his mum is like, I mean, she's a lovely lady, don't get me wrong, but she's this tiny little... Demure. Very much so. And mm. you, you know me, so not like that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and I was like, well, why aren't you, you know, I don't want anything permanent, I'm not into that. And he was like, oh, no, I'm not, I, I want um, a permanent relationship, you know, I want marriage and kids mm. and stuff like that and I'm thinking you know that's really strange for a guy who's 20 um saying those type of things you know it was just very strange um so yeah and so yeah so the next day we went shopping together and um and yeah we never parted after that we just stuck together it was really different in saying that as well he's still Turned me down for many, 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 many weeks afterwards. <laughs> I, I was getting to the end because in the end I was like, I'm leaving here. If I can't get anything out of this, I'm going. <laughs> you're wasting my time. Are you wasting my time? Exactly. So, and he was like, oh, okay then. So, and I said, it's very noble of you, but it's look, it's not as if you're going to take my virginity or anything like that. That's long oh, gone. <laughs> So yeah, so um yeah, and that's it. We we um we got together, we got engaged very quickly. We within 
So we got together in the May, June. We met in the March. We got together May, June, I think it was. Um, and we moved in together probably about three months later um, mm. after I got kicked out of home. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. And then we got engaged really quickly. We got engaged. So that was in the October, November. Um, and, yeah, we got engaged in the January and we got married in the September. So, so why was it different? Because you said you'd been engaged previously a couple of times. So why was Todd different? I suppose because he was... He wanted to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I don't, say, I don't say that. Like I think that I know. I, I think that's lovely. And I think that he was obviously so respectful of you that he did that. So I don't say that as in putting it, him down. No, I just no. And it's quite funny marvelous. because we have this conversation and he goes, oh, no, it's just he goes, he's, and look, I don't know how this is I mean it's the cleanest way I can go but he's, he'll say oh yeah I definitely wanted to get into Lorraine's pants but I just had to make her want it more you know and he he Aww. laughs about that and I'm like that is so not true and he's like that was my my goal but it's not he was very shy he was very very shy I mean I always went for the bad boys and the boys who oh I just went for the wrong type completely yeah. All the well, time. And you night in shining armor. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, he, you know, I've molded You don't sound convinced on that one. <laughs> well, he's a bit of a, you know, I, it used to bother me because Todd's, he, he's very, he, he observes. He's, he sits back, he observes, he, he watches people. Um, he's very good at, as said to you, sizing people up very quickly. And I mm. don't think he's been wrong maybe on one occasion in all the time that I've known him that he's been wrong about someone. Um, so he likes to observe and, and all that kind of stuff. So he was very quiet that way, but he stimulated me mentally. He's extremely intelligent and I'm I'm not intelligent as is in book smart, but I know lots of stuff. Street smarts, yeah. yeah, I've got street smarts where he didn't have any of that. He really didn't have any street smarts um and so and the other thing was you know we were literally from the wrong side of the tracks as well I was anyway he he grew up in South Perth which is a bit of a snobby area you know compared to where I grew up um I mean I grew up in poor really rough um area you know it was you know if you said you came from Gosnells it was like how did you get out alive type place why did you get kicked out of home my sister, um, who's just older than me, she was getting – so we both got married in the same um, year. And um, so – but Todd and I hadn't planned to get married at this stage, but she had already planned to get married. She she was living with her partner and they had a little girl together. And um, we got into this big argument um, at my mum and dad's and my mum, crazy woman, absolutely crazy um and she's an alcoholic and she's been an alcoholic from when I actually recognized it when I was probably 12 so she's been an alcoholic all my life um and um my mum it, it's a yeah it, family's complicated anyway but anyway it got into this argument with my sister and uh at, at my mum and dad's and um oh she was living there at the, oh I can't remember but 
I we got into this argument and uh, my mum and dad stuck up for her and um, and said to me, well, you can get out, you, you, you're you gone, you're out here. I said, yeah, that's fine, no worries. Literally packed up my stuff and put it in my car and, um, and Todd had just moved in uh, to a house with his mates. Like there was like there was already five of them living in this house, so I turned up at his house, and um, and I was like, oh well, here you go, I'm moving in with you, and he was like, okay, <laughs> no worries. So you so, hadn't discussed it beforehand. You literally just showed up with a yeah, of yeah, stuff literally. Of yeah. Been kicked out. Well, it's not exactly you get onto the mobile in those days. There was no mobile. Oh, yeah. The yeah. house that he was living in didn't have a phone because you, when you live with your mates, you couldn't afford to have a phone. It was just one of those things, you know. You just didn't do. It was. It's really funny. Um, you know. So you live with five blokes? No, no, no. There was. Um, there was. So there was. Um, there was uh, Tamara and Tanya. There was myself, there was Todd, there was Mick, and there was Andrew. So, so we all we all lived together in this. We called it the communal house, and uh, we were there probably about four or six weeks. And I was saying, Todd, I really can't live with this many people. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually found our own place. So we we found our own place, and we got our own little place together. Um, which was good. We loved it. Yeah, it was really, really good. So we did that. And then we decided that we were, um, I, during that time as well, um, doing my um, armory reserve stuff full time, I'd applied to be a prison officer. And um, and uh, I, I, so I applied to do that. And Todd knew that I was, I had applied to do it. So he helped me because you had to go and sit exams and stuff. And um, I, I got in to, to become a prison officer, which I was really surprised about because um, I just did it because I just thought, oh, what the hell. My mum actually said to me, I found a job in the paper for you because in those days everything was advertised in the paper. And, um, and I was like, oh, what's that? And she goes, oh, prison officer, I think you'd be fantastic. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. And I had, I had just turned 22 at the time and um, – and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a go. So I applied. I got in and, um, yeah, I. so that's, you know, so Todd and I were together when all that happened. So Was he still in transport at this stage? No, he was in signals. He's always been in communications. So oh, he's okay. never he's never been in transport. He's always been in signals, in communication. Oh, I thought that he was working in um, transport with you. No, no, I was. I worked in the transport area in in signals in in that oh, in that unit. Okay. So, um, so that's what I did. But um, yeah, so that's I I got in. So that's when I um. Because by then I'd been doing Armory Reserve full-time for about 18 months. Mm. Um, no, probably about 12 months by then. And, um, yeah, so I went off and did my my um, probationary course at the prisons and um, they needed people to go country and um, country was then was like Kalgoorlie, Roeburn, um, uh, where else? Albany, Bunbury. That's where they had all the prisons and stuff. So um, I chose to go to Kalgoorlie, but um, in those days they didn't have de facto relationships. You know, it wasn't a very common thing. So um, they said, I said, well, me and my boyfriend want to go, my fiance, and um, they went, well, we can't give you a house because you're not married. And we were like, oh. Okay, so we went, oh, well, let's get married then. 
<laughs> so that's literally what we did. We organised the wedding within, I don't know, five weeks, six weeks. Wow. And, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, we got married and then we chuffed off to Kalgoorlie and that was my first prison that I worked at. Um, and what type of prison was it? That was that was a mixture. So because it was a regional prison, so that had maximum and minimum security prisoners and it was male and female. Male and female. Okay. Yeah, so they were separated like majority of the time. Um, but they could... What, they can mingle in prison? Yeah, it, it, in, in, in that prison they could because of, of it being regional because they just didn't have the facilities to, to you know, have a – it cost so much to, to keep prisoners in the first place. So so they had to – so you had a wing. So there was the, the female wing and then you had the rest was all male because majority of the prisoners were male anyway. Um, so oh my God, were there lots of pregnancies? Um, there were some surprise pregnancies and people mm. are going, well, how did that happen? And I – I, so one of the girls, <laughs> so I was in for a big surprise because I had never, well, it was my first actual prison that I'd worked in. I'd done probationary work, but I was always with like someone else and those type of things. This was the first time that I'd actually, I was the one that was making decisions on things that were happening in the prison. You know, if a prisoner had done something, then it was me that had to, you know, sort it out or charge them or whatever the situation was, you know, so... Um, even though I was still a probationary, you still had to perform, you know, you still had to do all these things. So, um, and I remember one of the female prisoners coming up to me and saying, I, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, how far along? She said, I think I'm a couple of months pregnant. So, you know, you go through the records and you go, well, you've been in jail for the past 12 months. How the hell did you get pregnant? Because we don't have conjugal visits here. Um, it's not something that we do. And um, God? No, actually oh. it wasn't. So I was really perplexed by the fact that she was pregnant but she'd been in prison for 12 months, you know. And I had said to one of the other girls, her name was the other ladies that I worked with, her name was Marie. She was really funny. And I said, uh, so blah, blah, has just come up. She thinks she's pregnant. I'm sending her off to doctors. I said, I don't know how she's got pregnant. I said, because she's been here for 12 months. And Marie said to me, I'll show you. And I was like, okay. So between the the female wing and the male wing, the only thing that was stopping them for actually getting, you know, um, walking freely was an, a, bar, a gate, which was bars. Oh, no. So I'm leaving the rest to your own imagination. Oh, and. Well, and exposure as well, really. Come on. Oh my goodness. So that's how they, yeah, that's how they used to get their jollies. So I was just, I, honestly, um, you know, I think working in the prison, it just opened my eyes to so, so many things, so many things. And I thought I knew a lot, but I tell you, prison really steps it up a notch. So. It was, yeah, yeah. so working at Kalgoorlie was really great. Um, two reasons. It was regional. It really gave you, um, you know, 
eye-openers. I remember I was working a weekend and um, we got a phone call to say that the cops were bringing in a paddy wagon uh, full of um, prisoners in and we were like, oh, okay, no worries. So generally in Kalgoorlie, it's, as you know, it's a gold town and, and all the rest of it, but they have an, a huge amount of Indigenous people and uh, when their checks come in, They'll come to town, they'll buy their grog, they end up getting drunk and all the rest of it, get into fights and they get picked up by the police. They get brought to the prison and, you know, it's just that that circle that just keeps on going. And it's Which a lot of it's not their fault either. But no, well, it's, it's not a dry to, town. To some, so, yeah, not, not all of them. No, that's right. It's not a dry town so they can buy their alcohol and that and, um, you know, they get, they, you know, you, unfortunately you do see a lot of domestic abuse. Like it was pretty bad. And I remember um, so we were prepared. So they drive into what we call a sally port, which is like a carport really, and uh, they opened up the back of this paddy wagon and they said, oh, we've got two females and two males and they opened up the back of this paddy wagon. And as they opened up the back of this paddy wagon, all these beer cans fell out. And I was like, how the hell did that happen? So they came stumbling out and one of the females, she was a big girl. She was a larger-than-life girl and they were drunk as skunks, all of them. They were and unfortunately they smell really, really badly. And um, so the cops were just going, how the hell did they get beer in the back of this you know, paddy wagon. Oh, no. Yeah. And oh, no. So, um, so, <laughs> so we get, so I, we go to the area that we do strip searches and, um, and <laughs> we're like, hmm. And I said to her, um, you know, I said, uh, so how did you guys get the beer? And by this stage, we hadn't quite strip searched them either. They were still just standing there. And, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, full bloods aren't mean people. They're not. They're lovely people and they just love to drink, you know, and they get into all these problems and they're generally not aggressive, abusive people, you know. And um, she was like, I'll show you. So she literally takes off her top and I'm not joking, she had boobs that hung down to her knees. I'm not exa- I'm not even exaggerating on that. And she flicks up this one breast and she has got a six-pack underneath. A six-pack? Six it's all oh, light, light. Yeah, they take them out of the six-pack and because her boobs were that big and heavy, they were holding them in place under her boobies. And the oh, cops... better than what I thought she'd... No, thought. well, then the, the next thing was, so once we had confiscated all that, we do do strip searches and... Um, and unfortunately, as I said, they're not very hygienic and, and lots of things. And uh, it was it was it was smelling pretty bad. And and uh, so we put them in the shower and we um, shower them and stuff like that. Or they shower themselves and wash themselves off because they have a lot of um, in those days scabies and things like that. And uh, yeah, she we have to get them to squat um, just to you know, ensure that they don't have things secreted in other areas. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately, which is really sad when you think about it, she was fly-blown. Oh, God, mm. Lauren, that's disgusting. I know. And I felt really sorry for her, like, because she, she, I mean, obviously that is just something that you just don't expect. 
Um, oh my god, I was not expecting you to say that. Yeah, so we we had to call the doctorine and and then yeah. they took her to the hospital and you know got her sorted out. But that wasn't uncommon. It's just not an uncommon thing because um, they live out bush most of the time. They live out there and they only come into town when they get their check when they can get their checks and their you know their grog and you know they don't have showers. They don't. You know, they don't practice, you know, hygienic things or anything like that. So, yeah. Well, so, to, to the Western Senate, we're talking in the 80s. I mean, things may have changed. Oh, it definitely changed now. Definitely. Yeah. I would I would like to think that they have. But you still have those communities where they have very poor, um, like, hygiene and stuff like that, So, which is really sad, very, very sad. So, um, yeah, so Kalgoorlie was a real eye-opener for me, like, amazingly so and um and yeah so and after Kalgoorlie I went to uh um oh after Kalgoorlie Todd wasn't he he'd finished with army and he was sort of limboing so he really didn't so he was kept man like he likes to say so I was working he was at home and I never realized he actually left the army yeah yeah he had oh. yeah so he was like I'm doing nothing and um, and so I said to him, I said, you're going to have to go back to the army. I said, I can't have you being miserable and hanging around and that. So we Under my feet. Under my feet, basically, yeah. <laughs> and he's driving Unless you me. learned to cook. <laughs> well, that was the thing. I mean, he, and, he, and back then as well, I mean, he didn't do housework or anything like that. Getting him to do housework was just almost freaking impossible. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and we used to see we were lucky enough as well working in Kalgoorlie. So the prisoners used to come round to our houses, and they used to do all our gardens and, um, you know, so they, they knew where you lived. Yeah, yeah, they knew. Yeah, yeah. They and all they ever wanted. It was really funny because I used to, um, if I'd take them round there and then I'd leave them with Todd, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, right, the boys are here to do the gardens and you know, blah blah blah. And he'd go, yeah, okay, no worries, not a problem. And I'd say to them, I'll be back in an hour. And they'd go, yeah, boss, no worries, no worries. And I'd give Todd a packet of cigarettes and I'd go, the only thing they want is a cup of tea and smoke. So every time they come up to you and you say something, you go, you do that job and I'll give you a smoke. That's it. That's all they want to do. And that's all they wanted. They were happy to be out. They were happy to just do some work and get a smoke for it, you know. So, And that's what you did, you know. It was just, it wasn't, un- you know, abnormal but to that have was all that was all like above board that they were getting out and doing it. Yeah, because yeah, they're, yeah, they're called Section ninety four, so they're minimum security prisoners. They were low risk on running away. Um, they were low risk on um, you know violence or anything. Most of their most of their crimes were basically not paying fines, you know things like that. They they were they're non violent people. You know their records were nothing. It was it, but they just couldn't afford to pay the fine. So they ended up doing their time in jail. So that's, that's the way it was, you know? Um, and I'm sure it's probably very different nowadays, but you know, that's what happened. They ended up doing, you know, they could have thousands of dollars worth of fines where they'd been driving without a license, street drinking, even sometimes, you know, assault where they all got drunk and they got into a fight you know nothing that was you know aimed at any particular person um and they couldn't afford to pay the fine so then they get picked up by the cops and they go okay well they convert the fines into time to be served it um to be served on in prison yeah so that's what happened 
So, so Todd kept them in line with some cigarettes? Yeah, yeah, kept it. And they called him boss, so he thought that was fantastic because <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time you get called boss. Um, yeah, so as I said, he he was driving me insane, so I said, you're going to have to go back to the Army. And, and at that stage I'd also applied to um, – we'd applied to transfer back to Perth and I w- was hoping to go and work at um, Casarina Prison. Um, now, that was a new maximum security prison, so – Fremantle Prison, as I don't know whether people in the eastern states know, but Fremantle Prison's one of the oldest prisons in Australia, and um, and it was built by the convicts and stuff, and and uh, it was it was old, like really old, and the conditions weren't very good. There was no in the cells. There's no um, hot water, toilets, any no water, no nothing. It was literally they still had poo buckets to pooing in the middle of the night and wee buckets. So they used to still come out. And I'm only talking in, you know, 1980, 1990, 91. So yeah. Who cleaned them out, the guards? No, the guards, God, the prisoners. The so in the Fremantle prison. So so what happened is so I got a transfer to Casarina prison. That was still being built, but I went there um, to help implement all the policies and procedures and set the prison up basically, um, you know, and bring, you know, make sure all the beds were done and, you know, all those things when you're trying to open a prison, I suppose. And um, my other job was to go to Fremantle Prison and I actually um, was one of the prison officers who would go to Fremantle Prison and explain to the prisoners what it was going to be like at Casarina Prison. So you've got to remember Fremantle Prison, um, you would have to see photos of it, but all they had was like it's it's row upon row upon row of cells, right? Mm. And in those cells um, they would have generally two prisoners per cell. And I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's three stories high, maybe four stories high, three stories high, I'm pretty sure. And um, it's like you see, if anybody's ever seen the movie Alcatraz, and mm. you see them on the, um, as the the cell doors open, you see them stand out on the, on the um, walkway, so, so to speak. And, you know, they'd all present that way. So I would go... Um, and explained to them that they no longer had to do that at, in Casarina. It was brand new. They had toilets in their cells. They'd be the only person in their cell. They had, you know, fresh beds. They were allowed to have their TVs. They, they during the, you know, their recreational period, they weren't locked in a, a yard. Now, a yard would be no more than probably 20 feet long and about, you know, six or eight feet wide, and they would walk around in circles just to get exercise. They would have thought that it was a holiday going to the other prison. Well, you've got to remember a lot of these people in Fremantle Prison have been there a long time. You know, most of them have done no nothing less than about three years because Canning Vale Prison was another prison that was open um, and that was for your medium security. So we were going – I worked – then I had um, gone – to maximum security because that's what Casarina was going to be, was a, a medium maximum security. So, um, And the hardcore prisoners were at Fremantle. So you had your David Burney's um, in there and, um, you know, 
there's lots of others that people probably wouldn't remember now, but, um, you know, I think David Burney was probably your most notorious one because it was David Burney. David Burney, um, he and his partner, they killed five women. They were serial killers here in Perth. Jesus. Mm. So, um, and that was another big shock to me because I'd been in and out of Fremantle and, you know, I'd worked there a couple of times, um, not on a permanent basis. So my job was to go in and explain to prisoners that their their routine basically was going to change, they'd have more freedom and they were allowed to do this and they are allowed to do that. Um, but my other job was to actually go and explain this to the pedophiles and the vulnerable and disturbed and to the the high security prisoners, the prisoners who, you know, i.e. who had were big media attention, i.e. David Burney and that, um, because of their crimes. And so I was really surprised when I actually had to go in and explain to them that they would be moving on this date and this is what they had to do and blah, blah, blah. And David Burney actually came up to me and um, I didn't know who he was. I hadn't, I didn't recognise him. And uh, he was a little man, no more than, well, I'm only five foot two, so he probably would have been about five foot six, though mm. he wasn't very tall, very wiry-looking bloke. And he came up and he um, he introduced himself and he said, hello, my name's David. And I said, uh, you know, well, my name's Officer uh, Watkins. I went by my, my maiden name. And... Um, and we're not saying surnames on this podcast, by the way. Yeah, no, that's why. Um, yeah, so I was, yeah, so I was, yeah, and uh, and he just said David and then one of the other, other officers pulled me aside and said to me, that's David Burney. And I went, oh, okay, no worries. So, and he was very... When they introduced you, would you shake their hand or would you like, no? No, 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 you don't. No, you don't do that. You don't shake hands. You don't do anything. You don't allow them to have that... Um, contact not it's not just contact it's that familiarity you just don't allow that you know it's not one of the things that you do you still have to maintain um they're still human beings but you yeah you have to have a barrier you know and um once you start crossing that line um it can become very blurred and lots of prison officers have crossed it many a times you know had affairs you know, had sex, have bought drugs in, have, you know, smuggled other things in, lots of stuff, lots and lots and lots of stuff. So you once you start crossing that line, yeah, because then the prisoners have got something on you. It's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's like chipping away at that little rock and, you know, that hole gets bigger and bigger. If you start that, then it, it doesn't stop type thing, you know. You give them, it's like that old saying, you know, they give them an inch, they take a mile type thing. Mm. So, so you, yeah, you didn't, I didn't, I never crossed that line. You know, some of them come up and say, because I was a smoker back then as well, you know, oh, can I have a smoke boss? And I go, no, buy, go and buy your own. And they go, oh, I've got no money, not my problem. <laughs> you know? And you just walk off, you know, type thing. So, um, yeah, so we ended up moving all the prisoners um, over to Casarina. And I worked at Casarina for, uh, five, five and a bit years, nearly six years. Um, and but during that time as well, um, Todd had joined the army and he was supposed to stay in Perth. And then the last minute, typical army said, "Oh, we're going to send you back to Townsville." 
So Kazarina hadn't quite opened by then and then I said, I said to him, well, I'll, I'll come, you know, I'll get leave without pay from work and we'll move to Townsville until you can get posted back to um, Perth. And so I was only up in Townsville for about six months and uh, I got fired from another job as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I was working in a video store and, um, yeah, and I told the owner that he was basically a dick. And, um, and I don't understand how you did so well in the army considering <laughs> you, I, it sounds like you really don't like authority. <laughs> but that's the thing. I love the army. I didn't do well though. I mean, I got judged. I've been charged three times while I was in the army, which is... <laughs> You'll need to explain what a charge is. Okay, the a army. charge is um, when you have uh, contravened a, a law. Like, so you've... So, okay, so my first charge was um, I got... So my first charge I got... So when in transport, okay, so in transport, um, you get given your duties each day. So whether that's to deliver, um, drive someone to somewhere or you're driving supplies to somewhere or whatever it is. So so you do your job and when you come back to the yard, the transport yard, right, and you need to park your vehicle back in the spot, they're all given a spot, you know, you park it back in your spot. So when you do that, all vehicles are to be reversed back into their spot. So what I did was like, it was pouring. I was in Sydney. I just finished the run of dropping people off. I had I was in a like a, a little high ace bus type thing, and uh, it was pouring down with rain. I pulled into the transport yard, and there was no one around. And when you come in, you need to go and get someone. So what they do is they guide you back into your spot. So you use hand signals and you know stop, start, left, right, those type of things. And then if anything happens, then, you know, then it's your guide's fault because they will tell you how close you are to vehicles, you know, how far away. It was all just a process. But I got back there. I was tired. It was wet. And uh, I couldn't see anybody. And I thought, you know what, I'll just reverse myself. Oh, no. And um, I reverse. I was reversing in. And as I reversed in, my, and I said it was wet, my feet were wet, my shoes, my boots were wet and um, my foot slipped off and it, and I was reversing and it slipped off and hit the accelerator and I reversed and smacked straight into this frigging big pole and oh smashed God. the whole back of this bus thing down. I was like, oh, my God. And then everybody came running going, what? Yeah, so I got charged for um, failing to comply with um, a lawful command. So that was my first charge. And then my second charge was, um, well, so anyway, my second charge, <laughs> I, I, then I got moved on to another unit and I was the driver for a brigadier. And it was great working for him because I got to do so much stuff with him. Um, I got to do my first parachute jump Um and that was amazing. And I just got to do lots of stuff because he was always off doing stuff and here, there and everywhere. And I, this one particular day he said to me, um, Lorraine, we're going on to the USS, I can't even remember the name of the the, um, the carrier, yeah, the massive carrier. 
and it was in Sydney and I was like, oh, okay, boss, not a problem. And I was like, this is exciting. I get to see all these American sailors, which was great. <laughs> you weren't with Todd at this stage, no, were you? No, God, no, <laughs> God, no, God. Um, and, um, yeah, so, and because he was a brigadier, you, you got pretty good, other than a general, you got really good treatment, you know, really good treatment. So drove down to, uh, the, you know, Sydney into the bay there and we got onto this personalised American boat that took us all the way out to the carrier. And um, anyway, I happened to meet an American sailor. And <laughs> anyway. Oh, no. I no. know, I know. So anyway, one thing, anyway, long story short, um, he ended up obviously going back. They were they were in, in port for like three weeks. So I partied hard for three weeks and he ended up going back and they were um, their place of, of uh, where the, the ship, the carrier was, was in Japan, um, in Okinawa, 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 I think it is, Osaka or something like that. And um, I found that the telephone in... Um, in the um, in the pub, we call them boozers, but the pub on the barracks had no um, blocking of making international phone calls. So oh. I was able to call my then boyfriend, American sailor boyfriend, sweetheart, my sweetheart in Japan. So I'd ring him up almost every day and go, "Hi, how are you going?" And then um, probably about two months later. Um, I got called into my boss's office and he <laughs> and he said, uh, we've received this uh, phone bill, bill. yep, of $1,500, which was a lot of money, oh a lot Back of then, money. Yeah, yeah. still in the 80s. Huge yeah. amounts of money. And I was like, oh, he goes, and uh, you're the one with the American sailor boyfriend. And I was like, uh-huh. And he was like, yep. So I got charged for that using military um, you know, without authorization or something like that. So I ended up with uh, ten days extra duties and a fifteen hundred dollar bill. So you had a few little discrepancies in your in your uh, career, but I would say that that's their fault for not putting the blockage on there anyway. Well, that's what I thought as so, well. I tried yeah. to argue it, but no one had listened to me at all. <laughs> and it was just like so. Then yeah, so I yeah, so I was yeah, I was charged for that and. Um, yeah, so. How did we get back onto this? So you were Oh right, so we're talking about the prisoners. Yeah. So when um yeah, so um oh sorry, I I've lost the train of thought there. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, that was funny bringing that up. Uh, you were getting moved back up. Um Todd had been uh Oh yeah, I got sacked from my job. Up, yeah. I got sacked from my job and you asked me how did I even get through the army. So <laughs> I got sacked from my job in, in Townsville from a video shop. How do you get sacked from a video shop? Um, I did. And, um, yeah, so I said to Todd, I'm not staying here. I'm coming back to Perth, going back to my job. And he was like, oh, okay, no worries. And we were still really young. Like we, we'd only been married a year um, and, you know, we weren't going great at all. And so I came back to Perth and I was just like, nah, I don't want to be married anymore. <laughs> so I rang him and I said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And he was like, oh. Oh, my God. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. And, um, yeah, so we separated and he was in Townsville, I was in Perth. 
Thank you for joining us today. Please join us next week for the second and final instalment of Lorraine's story. We ended up getting into this. He put the blade down. We ended up getting into this scuffle and he tried to stick his blood into my mouth, like tried to infect me with his HIV blade. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 